We're so pleased that you've chosen to follow our Adopted podcast. I'm Joe Senegato, the Director of Communications and Public Relations for Mayor. And at Mayor, we believe that the best way to help introduce the process of adoption from foster care is through education, hence our cutesy little title of Adopt Ed. The theme for today's show is Pride Month. On our podcast today, we'll be discussing the community support that we provide for LGBTQ youth and families. We'll also have a visit later in the show from Richard Benoit, foster and adoptive parent. Richard will share with us a bit about his journey as an LGBTQ ally, gay father, and his work in supporting youth and families. Without further ado, I'm excited to kick off the show with our opening segment called At the Table. Joining me today at the table is my co-host and Director of Family Support Services and my peer co-leader for LGBTQ education and engagement here at Mayor, Diane Tamez. Welcome, Diane. Thanks. Glad to be here, Joe. So, Diane, I had the hardest time putting the show notes together for today, and not because there wasn't enough content, but because there was way too much content. Um, so I'm hoping that you'll help to uh, to keep us on track and, and keep us moving. And since we're now in June, it's Pride Month, so happy Pride. Happy Pride. Um, so I thought the best way to discuss start our discussion was to talk about the history um, that each of us has working within the LGBTQ community, just to give people a sense of um, what we've been doing and, and where our passion lies for this work. And then we can talk about the current work with Mayor. Does that sound like a good place to start? Yeah, great. It's good work. I want to hear about it. Okay. So uh, so my bio is a, a little bit long. I apologize in advance. Uh, but first, let me just say, as a gay adoptive father of seven children from foster care, with over two decades of volunteering with DCF and affiliates, that I have a pretty wide lens into this work. And so I tend to look at it very globally when we talk about LGBTQ youth and families. Uh, and I know you're much the, much the same. So um, my grassroots work goes back to when I was in college. Um, although, you know, my history goes back to when we used to call it just gay rights before it was LGBTQ. Then it became lesbian and gay and, and GLBT. And, you know, we added all these all these other um, groups into the movement that we now today, tr- you know, typically call LGBTQ. Um, but personally, you know, I'm on a crusade to kind of reduce some of that. You know, I'm a big marketing geek, right? So um, I'm just trying to uh, reduce it down. I'm, I'm thinking that we could do, I've seen iterations in Europe. There's now a trend for um, LGB and T to separate sexual orientation from, from gender mm-hmm. uh, orientation. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I want to reduce it even further. I want to do Q plus T. I want to reduce it down to sexual orientation and gender orientation because it's, okay. it's getting long, right? Yes, it is. I mean, this whole thing. Um, but, you know, my early years were, um, really fighting for basic human rights, AIDS advocacy. Um, you know, long before we were fighting for the right to marry, we were we were fighting a lot of cultural stereotypes. Um, and really, it's all the things that helped to create a mainstream platform for what we consider to be our LGBTQ culture today. Um, so beyond that, um, I also uh, had more formal engagements. I um, worked in Central Mass on the Central Massachusetts Business Council, heading that up. That was sort of uh, like a precursor to the um, LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce, right, here in Massachusetts and, and nationally. Um, as a foster and adoptive parent, I had lots of engagement going back to the 90s, uh, and that's, you know, an interesting piece of, of um, sort of connection to this work because I've gotten to see a lot over the past 20 years in terms of, of how people are engaging. Um, I volunteered with the Department of Children and Families to support uh, gay and lesbian families in their pursuit to become foster and adoptive parents. Uh, now, formerly as a family resource liaison, but years ago, it was just a phone call. You know, and people had questions, I would be the person you they would the call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was a DCF map trainer. So, you know, part of that included sharing stories as a whole section. I know you're a map trainer as well, right? Yes. And that includes sharing stories. Um, in 09, I uh, started uh, and was elected to um, the board in Worcester, the Worcester West uh, Area Advisory Board for DCF, and got to do a lot of work, and including work and engaging with the local community and doing some pride work with uh, Worcester Pride and, and prides across the state. And then in other engagements, uh, and because of that, I ended up engaging statewide with uh, the DCF um, Commissioner Advisory Panel, the LGBTQ um, uh, Liaison Support Group, and a, and a number of other groups. So. So I feel like I have a pretty good sense of, of what our history has been here in Massachusetts, at least for the past couple of decades. And um, sometimes this volunteerism feels like a full-time job. I'm yep. sure you, you feel the same. So tell me a little bit about your experience. Where, where are you coming from in all of this? 
It's funny when I um, was talking to you about it and you mentioned it felt like a full-time job, I thought I better sit down and make myself a list of the work that we've been doing over the last um, eight years or so. So I don't, I don't forget anything, but then also it's interesting just to look back on, on what we've done. Right. Um, I realized that I think a lot of the work started up once uh, my partner and I adopted. Mm-hmm. So we got hooked into Family Equality Council, right. which you know is a national organization and they have an office here in Boston. Um, and they do a lot of advocacy, policy ch- change, um, but they also uh, host a lot of family events. And so we ended up attending their family week in Provincetown. Oh, right, Town, right, yeah. Which is so much Big fun. Big annual fun week. Yeah, it's fun activities for the kids and the family. There are classes and workshops for parents. And then when I started working for mayor, I was invited to go a couple of times and speak on panels about right. family planning um, and family building. So so that was neat. Um, so you know, done a couple of events with them. And then through them, I met some other folks from organizations like the Hispanic Black Gay Coalition. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I am. So um, they work with the Latinx and African-American community in Boston primarily. I'd done panels with them and then met some folks from Fenway Health. Right. Yeah, a huge player in the community. Yeah, which is a go-to for um, not just LGBTQ adults, but their children as well. Um, They actually have some uh, adoption support groups now that they're offering. Yeah, and and a huge support for the trans community as well. That's right, yep. Fenway was, I mean, there's so many places now to access services, but for a long time, I feel like Fenway was one of the few places They're always been at the forefront, you're right. Yeah, where you're able to actually, especially as teens, young young people, to really be able to access services. Yeah, and I think if I recall correctly, some of their support groups are around uh, trans issues from different, different angles. So, you know, trans parents or... Um, parents of trans kids, right. um, so something for everybody. Um, so I did some work with those folks, and then um, you know, recently we had a speaker here from Speak Out Boston right. that I brought in um, to to talk with the staff about um, her experience of um, coming to terms with her trans identity and maybe not even necessarily for herself, but c- coming out as trans to the community and to her family and friends. Um, and coworkers and so on and so forth. Um, that was the second time that I'd had um, an experience with them. The first time I had invited a couple of speakers to come to the uh, coalition meeting okay. at, at a DCF office to talk to social workers. You know, that's, that was not that long ago, but it feels like we've already come so far in yeah. that regard that, you know, Social workers definitely are working with trans families and definitely matching trans families right. with kids, which is fantastic. No, I think that's great. How did that connection evolve for you? Um, speak out? I think we had some trans families coming into the process who just felt wary, okay. you know, about it, not actually working with their family workers. That seemed to be actually going really well. But they were nervous they would never actually be placed with a gotcha. with a child, that no one would actually select them. Um, and so we just talked as a staff and decided, well, let's just do some education. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen, education's the, the way to address right. any issue, right? I mean, you yeah. can you can hit a wall head on or you can find a way to open a door. And yeah, education exactly. is opening a door. And I think at the time, it was sort of a, a new topic in adoption for all of us. So everybody kind of felt on equal footing. And uh, Speak Out Boston just does such a great job of picking really uh, forthright but vulnerable speakers who just put you at ease. Right. Make you feel like you can say whatever you want to say. There's no stupid question. The last speaker was <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, she was great. I absolutely loved her. She she did a great job. Yeah. Um, and and you know what? It's important for people uh, as we we talk about with our staff training. Mm-hmm. Right. We have a whole um, piece here, and, and I guess I'm jumping the gun a little awesome. bit because we're gonna talk about HRC later, but. Um, uh, we have a whole training that's set up around having a comfortable conversation yeah. about very uncomfortable things and getting right. people used to having the conversations. And I think that's the only way to get people over it. Right. Right. Is to right. bring them in on the conversation and let people 
you know, we have a free space to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, you and I even talk about the fact we make mistakes sometimes. Right. Um, yeah. You people know. have to try out the language. It's this hard is new for most people. It's right. hard sometimes to keep it all straight. And right. I am very well intentioned. And there are times that I misstep. Yep. But, you know, one of the things I always say, uh, w- one of the tenets of the training that we do is ABCs, right? Always be caring. Mm-hmm. If you're always coming from a position of caring, that comes off very different right. than if you're you know, kind of feeling disconnected or unplugged or, you know, it feels less harsh if you just, you know, ask people. So um, I'm taking you off track, though. So you had um, Speak Out. um, So what 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 else is going on? I don't want to leave Boston Pride Mm -hmm. off the list because we've had some great times at the Boston Pride Parade uh, for the last few years. And the one year that uh, I got to write a piece for the Pride Guide, that was really fun when they had they had an event downtown. Um, for all the local LGBTQ um, organizations. So, yeah, that's right. I think I might have actually, was I in that yeah. article? I think my family might have yes, been in that article, exactly. right? We had a photo of you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. Well, the, not all of you, unfortunately, just part of, just <laughs> part of, of the us. family. Yeah, but, hey, listen, yes. trying to get nine people together all to <laughs> right. take a picture that was these a days great photo. is kind of crazy. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, and I think, you know, we also, Rebecca, um, when she was, uh, Rebecca, uh, well, she was Clegg at the time, now mm-hmm. Raposa. Um, was handling our Central Mass area. She came out to Worcester Pride with me uh, one year. We've got, um, you know, people are going to be out at uh, Northampton Pride. There's yep. North Shore Pride. There's, you know, Cape Cod Pride. There's there's a lot going on during Pride right. Month, and, and we're very supportive of, of families for sure. Um, so th- the funny thing is is that I was thinking back over this whole experience, and I was like, you know, prior to working for Mary, I met this amazing woman named Diane who... <laughs> was super knowledgeable and supportive of LGBTQ families at Mayor. And that was, gosh, you know, after years of engagement with the organization, I think we probably first met when you were, I think in a prior episode, you talked about the fact that you were a CSC or child service coordinator prior to to this role that you have now. And and I think that's probably when we met. But, um, you know, over the past 20 years, it's just, it's been a huge change in engagement. I know um, as gay parents, even as early as the 90s when we were going through training. And we actually met our first, uh, our first batch happened at a mayor event um, at the Worcester Ecotarium, which I'm sure people are tired of me talking about. But, um, but that, you know, was a point where we were a little bit tentative and hesitant. We hadn't worked with mayor before. Um, going back to the 90s, although Massachusetts, we were very fortunate to be in a state that allowed um, same-sex parents, um, who at the time were not legally married, right, mm-hmm. to both adopt. Um, there was a lot in place. There was a lot of framework in place, but then mm-hmm. yet we would call and nine out of 10 kids would already have been placed magically or, you know, I mean, when they right. found out what our family constellation was. So we walked into it very tentatively. And even back then, Mayor was super supportive. I mean, I think it made That's a big difference. Yeah, right. it made a big, big difference. Um, but I want you to share with me a little bit about your experience in working with Mayor, probably both from the, the child service coordinator position and, and your current position, and, and talk a little bit about working with LGBTQ families, because I think that's a jumping off point um, between you and I, as my career changed here and uh, at various points of engagement, you know, we had that in common. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I've always been so proud to talk about is the fact that you know who your families are. You know exactly what the needs are, and you advocate for, for for all families. But today we're talking about pride and LGBTQ families. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about that whole process. How did all of this unfold? Tell me a little bit about how you manage all that. So just interestingly um, enough for people who are interested in numbers, we always have about 20% of LGBTQ-headed households um, when we do our statistics of families with whom kids are placed every year. That's and great. Yeah, that number um, always hovers around between 20 and 22 percent, um, which is great. I mean, we do try to do more recruitment. We have events at more than words bookstores, um, right. the bookstores that employ kids who've been in DCF care mm-hmm. or involved in the criminal justice system. Um, and we're always looking, uh, obviously, for more families um, to match the diversity of our kids. But I just think it's great that. Uh, LGBTQ folks are choosing adoption as the oh, way to amazing. start their family. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think for them, and this is what a lot of social workers have said, is that these folks are planful. Adoption is their choice. Being pa- Becoming parents is a choice for them. They've researched it. They, they know what's, gonna, it is, what's well, ahead of them. I've always said, you know, so as a gay adoptive father, uh, so if we, if we break down um, the whole LGBTQ spectrum, um, 
you know, I think it's fair to say that as as gay fathers, our options are different right. than um, as lesbian um, couples, or um, all the various ways in which the family constellations, you know, come together under the LGBTQ umbrella. Um, and so for us, you know, we had to either go the surrogacy route or adopt, right? right. Whereas some of my um, our lesbian contemporaries at the time, going back to the 90s, they were um, looking at insemination. They were looking at biological options. You know, mm-hmm. we had a very different track. So I think that still plays out. I mean, that, that doesn't change. It, the political climate, the social climate doesn't change the biological pieces. And, right. and I think that does play into the decision-making sometimes for families. Yeah. Well, and, we all have our own internalized homophobia to a certain extent, our own fears um, that we bring with us to the process. And, you know, most of that 20% that I referred to are couples. And of the singles that are coming to us, the single um, gay women or gay men, the, the women, I think, don't face the same kind of trepidation because everybody thinks moms are, you know, all women are going to be moms and they're going to be maternal and and nurturing and that just is second nature to them. Um, But we have lots of men that call us and, and actually express that they're nervous about calling an agency and somebody wondering about their motivations to become a parent, which is really sad, you know, that, that it's not just seen as, as normal that you would want to be a parent in your life. As good as we are Mm -hmm. at working, because you may or may not know someone's sexual orientation, Mm -hmm. gender identity, because we're just really good about working with people. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think as our our agency, right? Right. Speaking from there. Try to work on a strength-based But when you really, yeah. Yeah. But when you really get out into the community, it's funny how many perceptions are still held about um, even same-sex couple male parenting. And we live in Massachusetts and people are still holding on to these fears. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's been described to me as a bubble within a bubble, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, and if we do have listeners nationally, you know, you may be experiencing something a little bit different. Of course, we're talking about Massachusetts. Um, We just recently... Um, had the conversion therapy uh, ban um, passed, the bill was passed. Uh, there's been a lot of work by our legislature to to make sure that we maintain equality for all citizens of the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that as gay adoptive parents, some of the things we went through were the kinds of discrimination that gay men faced and just the kind of discrimination that men faced. Right. Um, we did have some of that going right. back to the 90s of, but, but why do you want to be a parent? Yes. Why, what's going on with that? Why do you want to... Yeah, Right. And I think some of that still exists. I think there, and it's very hard for two male parents to be out and about with their kids and kind of just pass, quote unquote pass. Right. You know, you're you're going to get a lot of attention. Um, people are going to try to figure out your family, and we have so many families who are um, multicultural, right? Multiracial. Well, that's so. that was always our. So uh, we were we had double uh, questioning, I guess. Right. right. So. Um, because we were gay men and we had a very, very visibly multiracial family, yes. yep. you could see people were just trying to figure it out. But you know what's really interesting? I was so blind to it. Mm-hmm. I'm so blind to it. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, the I kids think... weren't. <laughs> no, no, but the kids actually became blind to it too. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we did is talk about the fact that... Um, so I grew up in a heteronormative, very middle class, you know, blue collar working family who... Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're like, I'm making a reference that probably half the audience doesn't know, but the Cleavers, you mm-hmm. know, this idea yeah. of just this atomic family, right? Even with that, I didn't wear the right shoes. I didn't speak the right way. I didn't, you know, you can be in the most right. normative situation and have, you know, still have issues. And Other I think, kids will still find the yeah, differences. So yep. what my kids always learned was that it doesn't really matter who who your family is. What's important is family, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't think they I don't think they really worried about it. I mean, we did deal with this this particular topic is LGBTQ you know families, and so um, you know if we were talking about um, uh, racial um, you know sort of uh, interactions uh, based upon race, or if we were talking about that's a different conversation. But I think in terms of of being a family, man, a family is a family. Now that's a good point because some people raise the question of the importance of kids having a male and female right um, parent at home and of course we know that 
these kids just want families like any other kid, and that's what they deserve. And you know, families can look obviously um, a lot of different ways, but that also those male and female roles don't have to be fulfilled by the parents. No, they're going to have teachers, they're going to have babysitters, they're going to have aunts and uncles, they're going to have neighbors, they're going to have lots of males and females in their lives. And that they also don't need to be centered. Or, uh, they don't need to be sexually oriented, right? So right. it doesn't mean that um, a mother is going to be nurturing and a yes. father is going to be the the bad cop and the one who's you know very very um you know keeping kids on task and you know right i know right. plenty of families where it's a total flip i think you know gender roles today you know talking about that as a whole separate topic gender roles have changed mm-hmm. a whole lot right mm-hmm. so so whether you are a biological family an adopted family you're heteronormative you're uh, lgbtq identify you know again it, it's all um certainly open to interpretation for mm-hmm. sure but man you can you can get the support that you need Yep. in so many different ways. And often, you know, uh, single parents are the ones who come to me the most and say, I'm so jealous that you just have two parents. I don't ever get a break, <laughs> right? So I know a lot <laughs> of single parents who, yeah. yeah, who rely upon their family. And, and, and let's think about it. If we take this out of the context of adoption, when we look at things like divorce rates and um, single parent-headed households today, those numbers have gone up exponentially. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can have the topic topical discussion just on LGBTQ parenting, right? Yeah. I think it has to be part of a larger larger construct. But you do a lot of work with LGBTQ parents, as you said, 20 to 22 percent, um, you know, pretty consistently over these past several years uh, of the population that you work with in supporting families are LGBTQ identified. What, um, what message would you share with someone who, you know, is just coming to terms with thinking about parenting, mm-hmm. um, who, who may be LGBTQ identified? What kinds of um, tips over all these years of working with families would you share with them? Um, maybe questions that you know that they might have or, you know. I think, I mean, this happens, um, this doesn't happen um, very often, but I still do have families who wonder if they should be honest from the get-go about their oh, right. gender identity or sexual orientation. And of course, it's easy for me on the other end of the line to say, like, yeah, of course you would. Right. But, but because I personally know these social workers that they're going to be dealing right. with, and I know it's going to be okay, and I know that they really believe in their non discrimination policy. But these people who are calling for the first time have faced discrimination in their sure. lives. So, of course, they don't feel certain about it. And now this is something that they really want to happen. They want to become a parent. They right. want a child. So they're invested in it. And they're scared to put themselves out there. And, you know, maybe they've already um, called other agencies and inquired about other kinds of adoption, international adoption, for example, where LGBTQ and that's diff- people that's a haven't very always difficult, been welcome. Right. right, yeah. And so maybe they have that experience in the back of their minds. Or they've just, a lot of this is just um, word of mouth. Well, it's also the, the, the media. Yes. Big marketing geek that yeah. I am. If you read, and I do both professionally and personally read a lot of trade press, if you look at trade press from mm-hmm. across the country, it's amazing what's going on. I mean, in terms of rolling back rights and, you know, really the LGBTQ community is under attack very right. heavily in some areas. Yeah. So if you read a lot of national media, mainstream mm-hmm. media, the message you're getting is very inconsistent with right. the double bubble here in, uh, double bubble, can I call it the double <laughs> bubble? Like the bubble within the bubble <laughs> here in Massachusetts? That That's perfect. No, but, right, yeah. but, you know, I mean, we're in a metropolitan area yes. in Massachusetts. That's a very different engagement than um, somebody who's seeking to um, play this out in Tennessee, for example, or North Carolina, yes. or, you know, or some even parts for of... those folks here who aren't in a community where their friends have already adopted, where right. they may be the first. Um, they just don't know. They don't have personal experience. They right. don't have somebody else's story to go on. Um, and so that's a nerve wracking call to make. And so I just spend time reassuring people that they're okay. absolutely going to be welcome. Um, I share with them the numbers because I think data is comforting to people. Right. <laughs> like, when I say 20%, I don't mean that 20% of the folks who call us every year are identify as LGBTQ. I mean the 20% were placed with kids. Where children had, were placed in their homes right, during the that year. Right, at the end of the year, by the end of the year. And so that means they were, quote unquote, successful in this process, right? We want to get from A to Z. Right. Um, and I think that makes people feel a little bit better. Um, I do, I will be really honest i do still worry about our the trans community Mm -hmm. um and not because i'm witnessing outright discrimination but i think that there's still a lot of education that needs to happen there you know we've had 
lesbian and gay folks and somewhat the bisexual community as well adopting um, for a long time. Uh, but this really still feels like new ground um, for the trans community. And sure. so I really want to get that message out there that they're absolutely welcome and that we can point to families who've done it successfully. And we're, we can pair them up, you know, how we have the mentor mentee right, program. Right. We've got now at least a small contingency of families that we can connect to each other. It was like me in the old days with, with DCF. They're like, hey, you're a gay couple. You're the can gay you talk guy. to other gay <laughs> But you don't know how many right. how many hundreds of calls that yielded, oh, right? I so believe I it. think your mentor mentee program in, in much the same way offers that same level of support. Okay. And you know, there's another thing that I think an awful lot about um, when I, I can almost not talk about LGBTQ advocacy without thinking about the religious component that mm-hmm. lies behind some of the 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 anti LGBTQ mm-hmm. um, uh, you know sort of legislation and and the, the movements. And one thing that I think is really important to point out, we've talked about Ricardo Franco, uh, who works for your team many, many times um, in the past. And Ricardo uh, is responsible, uh, among other things, for plugging into the religious community. I mean, he stays very well connected. But you just did a podcast, and we have an awful lot of discussion about the intersectionality between LGBTQ families and religion. And that's a topic now. Right. Um, and and you actually just did a whole national podcast, uh, not podcast, I'm sorry, national webinar mm-hmm. uh, on on uh, the intersectionality between LGBTQ families and religion. Yeah, I mean, it points to that saying, you know, we're more alike than we're unalike. And they don't have to be two separate cohorts. We don't have to look at them that way. There are religious and spiritual LGBTQ people, of course. Right. And then there are pe- people for whom their gender identity or sexual orientation plays a more prominent role in their lives. But they also go to a place of worship once right. a week, and that's important to them, too. Um, so there's a lot of overlap there. And I, I bring it up only because um, I think th- that sometimes that's what people have in mind when they think about adoption. Yeah, they think about right. some of the institutions that sometimes are you know, agencies that work along with the state in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we really tend to think very globally about this here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's LGBTQ adults. So now on the topic of LGBTQ youth, um, you know, as I mentioned, so I work with both the DCF LGBTQ liaison committee and I've um, got some connections to the mass committee on LGBTQ youth. And so uh, from this work, I, I know a great deal about the the state of LGBTQ youth in here uh, in care, not just in mass, but nationally. Uh, there's also, unfortunately, some some very tragic statistics associated with LGBTQ youth in care. Um, for example, according to the statistics released in the most recent report by the commission, the 2020 annual report, um, LGBTQ students were one times, uh, 1.7 times more likely to be bullied than other students. Mm-hmm. They skipped school at a rate of 3.5 times that of other students. Were more um, uh, likely um, uh, skip school at a rate of three times. Uh, were more likely to be bullied than other students. Uh, they um, were 3.9 times more likely to attempt suicide. Uh, had experienced sexual contact against their will at a rate that was 2.7 times other students experienced homelessness at uh, a rate that was 2.8 times higher than other students. So, I mean, when we talk about outcomes, um, you know, it's so important to keep in mind um, that these are just, these aren't students in foster care. These are just students in general. And it was the, the way that the study was conducted. So, um, of course, you know, at Mayor, we're pleased not only to profess support for LGBTQ families and youth, but we also have our HRC or Human Rights Campaign, All Children, All Families Certification. And that means that our leadership and staff have met the standards of training and development required to provide meaningful education to LGBTQ children and families. It's an ongoing requirement, and, and it means that we have to attend regular training and prove that um, we meet the standards of inclusion. Um, w- thoughts about HRC? I mean, we do we use them a lot as a resource. What about mm-hmm. for families who have questions? You know, uh, want to think about HRC as as a, a way to begin to educate themselves? Do you have any thoughts about what they can look for and, and yeah, how huh. HRC can help to support them? I mean, if you haven't been on the HRC website before, I would encourage you to go on. They've got a great list of resources um, and referrals and supports. And I don't just mean adoption specific. So right. all kinds of services or supports you might need in your life, which might be different from when you're an individual to when you become a parent or a family. Um, and you might be looking for some other things. They've, they've just got um, a long list there. Um, they also do a fantastic job of tracking data. So again, yeah. for people who are looking Hugely. for more numbers, yeah, you know, it um, it makes people feel less alone. Right. So um, they can provide that, and um, they've got 
they've got uh, sample forms on there, or templates, if you will, that are um, examples of using inclusive language and how to do that. And so, so important. It really is. So say you become a parent and you notice that your child's uh, medical form, for example, at school is not as inclusive as it says it mother can be. and mother and father. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and in the the simple fix is parent one, parent two. Right. 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 Um, or the old parent or guardian form um, that really is the most inclusive of all. You know, printing that out and just providing that to the school and saying like oh, could you could you, you know, replace it that? might feel like a small change to you, but it would mean a lot to me. Would you would you replace right. that? Um, so they've got those kinds of things on there. Um, certainly guides, a, yes. a lot of guides, yep. uh, a lot of uh, service uh, information. So um, I think HRC is a great resource. Mm -hmm. uh, Family Equality Council, someone else that does a lot of work. They actually have yes. a place where I know you can submit forms if you if you have a form right. that is not inclusive. They yeah. will kind of help you work <laughs> through that, right? So You can a, share your photo, your family photo and story as right. well, which is nice. They do a lot of com uh, community building. They have local chapters. They have a lot of local events. Right. So you can check that out when you're looking to do something. And it's all family friendly. So that's really nice too because – Yes, you need to get out and meet other uh, adults going through the same parenting challenges as you, but it's also good for your kids to see other kids with well, that's, look like theirs. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, so for years, so with all of my engagement um, up through the Central Massachusetts Business Council, um, we had a lot of like very grassroots in-person kinds of meetings. And even in those early days, my engagement with DCF started uh, during that time, we were looking to help the department um, build families within the LGBTQ, or back then it was probably the LGB or LGBT <laughs> community, right, going back 20 years. But um, at that point, um, something shifted, and we started becoming more virtual. And it wasn't until probably 2007, 2008, um, as I was doing community work, that families started saying to me, you know what, it's great that we got married, and I'm glad that we can go to school and we are being accepted in, in most communities. I'm not saying speaking right. for everyone. But we no longer have a sense of our community and mm -hmm. our kids don't see other families like ours. And so right. there's been a big movement. I, you know, I've been part of it. I do uh, work with um, gay adoptive fathers and uh, mothers groups. And, uh, you know, we have meetups and events so that families can get together. People are finding the value in that again. And I think, yeah. you know, family equality, you mentioned family week that's coming up. Yeah. Uh, one thing July. I thought was neat when um, the times that I went with the kids is that it it actually fostered conversation that we hadn't had on our own or thought to have on our own. Right. Um, and shame on us. But, you know, so, for example, we took it for granted that a friend of ours who's a single mom had her daughters um, through the help of a donor. Right. So it's like, wait. What, I've never talked to my kids about this. Like, this is a great opportunity to have this no, conversation. And I think it helps with that that feeling of otherness that all kids have at some point. Like you were talking about. Well, I think every all kid. have that. Every kid, no matter so what they, the circumstance. Like, oh, well, her family was built in a totally different way right. than ours, you know? Um, but just like we like to be around people who have um, similar thoughts and mm -hmm. ideas, so too do kids. Right. Um, so with all that in mind, what can you share about your engagement um, with the department when identifying LGBTQ youth or supportive resources. I mean, we don't uh, certainly don't believe that LGBTQ youth have to be placed with LGBTQ families any more than, you know, we believe that that um, children who are non-LGBTQ shouldn't be, right? So, I mean, it's not about this direct match. Um, and I think sometimes people think about it that way. But when we talk about LGBTQ youth in care, um, what has your experience been? Are you finding um, that they're um, identified or, you know, I can certainly talk to my experience outside of the mayor work, but. Yeah, I mean, I'd obviously like to see more identification. I'd like to see more discussion happening between um, social workers in terms of referrals and and mayor about um, a child's gender identity or sexual orientation or even questioning right. that might be coming up for them just because um, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do here is good matching. Yeah, it's no, for all sure. About what's in the child's parents' best strengths, interest, child's so. needs. Right, so we can do way better matching when we have way more information. Right. So I put that in that category. 
Um, but I will say I agree with you. The fit does not have to be LGBTQ child with LGBTQ family. And I think we shouldn't do that for the sake of convenience because the truth is that the community does step up a lot. 100%. When they hear that a child is in need of a placement, they do. Um, And that's terrific. But the numbers just don't match. We need more families that are open. Right. um, And will are educated enough to really do a good job of it. Um, so I'm happy to see that the MAP curriculum mm-hmm. um, in terms of LGBTQ um, issues has been expanded a bit. And I've been seeing an increase in the number of home studies coming in from families who are open. And I always think that um, something we can't underestimate is those families who are looking for young children but still make a point of saying they'd be open to a child right. of, of any identity um, is because – we we don't know. We never know. Well, you, there's no guarantee. I mean, right. listen, it's one Where thing to have. Go. I worry about the kid. Um, so so I 100% agree. LGBT kids do not have to be, LGBTQ identified children do not have to be matched with LGBTQ identified parents. That may be the case sometimes. Right. Um, but what we need to do is make sure that the, the parents' strengths are identified, right? So not everyone's going to be good at caring for a medically complex kid. Yes. Not every child is going to be great. Uh, I'm sorry, not every parent is going to be willing or great at providing deep religious you know, connection for a child. Not everyone is going to be, you know, good at dealing with everything. And so strength-based matching is really just about, you know, thinking about and challenging yourself to think about that which you have that can help to meet a child's needs, right? And I think we just have to be on top of it. And I think um, one of the things that is most concerning for me about children in care is that, um, you know, think about a kid who's in care. So you've been removed from your parents. You are now living with a family who, you know, sees you one particular way. And now all of a sudden you're coming to understand that you might have a different identity. And, you know, what is that going to be like? And so I think the system has to be receptive, educated, and able to handle those kinds of conversations. And I don't, um, I don't really know if we do that well. I've not really seen any statistics. So, you know, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm, trying to always be very objective about this. Um, but I think that that every system can improve. I mean, I know we've been doing a lot of work here at Mayor, you know, to help yep. improve. And so things like HRC certification, the All Children, All Family certification is a, is a way to get at that. Um, the department uh, through, I had mentioned the DCF LGBTQ liaison committee and um, back in 2015, that group put together the DCF LGBTQ guide to working with youth and families, something that we have available and that's now available um, on the website uh, for DCF. Um, but I think, you know, you talked a lot about working with, um, you know, prospective families earlier. Um, we're certainly, um, open to, uh, working with families. I think one of the things that we can do is help to maybe provide some resources for folks. Um, so we talked about HRC, right? Human rights campaign, and they can be reached at hrc.org. Um, other, PFLAG, yeah. uh, the parents and friends of lesbian and gays at pflag.org. Right. And glad gay and lesbian advocates and defenders. And they are a group that works with um, uh, with people who need support in the community. Right. Who need some sort of legal advice or legal support. They're available at glad.org. Uh, the Mass, uh, Massachusetts Commission on LGBTQ Youth. Uh, that's on mass.gov, specifically at backslash orgs, backslash Massachusetts, <laughs> dash commission, dash on, dash L. GBTQ dash youth. Um, and I we just, should share this. I, I did we'll that. Share this <laughs> I did that to way. you. If you go to mass, <laughs> if you go to mass.gov and Go. put in mass commission on LGBTQ you youth, or that. you can just Google search mass commission on LGBTQ youth, it comes up. Um, and of course, Family Equality Council, we mentioned their familyequality.org. Um, there's so many resources available. And to my mind, those are some of the very forward facing um, resources. Um, of course, for people who want more information, um, about adoption in general, you know, they can look to our website, they can look to Adopt US Kids. Um, there's a lot of resources available. Uh, we did use a lot of terms today. So as you know, we try and make sure that we define as much as possible for our audience. So um, let's discuss a couple of terms. We can kind of go back and forth. Um, LGBTQ, uh, it's an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. Um, it's a more commonly used term that replaces LGBT, mm-hmm. and it can also include the letters IAA, which stands for intersex, asexual, and then the last A sometimes is accepting, sometimes is ally. It really depends uh, where you look, but that's a pretty common acronym. Right. And then some of the organizations, of course, um, 
we use their acronyms as well. HRC is the Human Rights Campaign. Um, this is a national organization that does uh, advocacy and policy work um, and has a lot of great resources on its site, uh, as well as FEC, which is the Family Equality Council. Um, they also are a national organization. But they've got a chapter right here in Boston. Um, PFLAG, I think, is probably the other one from, from the top of the list. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I did talk about GLAD. PFLAG, as you said, is parents and friends of lesbians and gays. And that's a, a longstanding organization. I know PFLAG from, you know, some of my grassroots work back in the 90s. Right. Uh, they've been around for a long time. And they're a, a wonderful support um, for, for folks who are um, sort of uh, directly in the LGBTQ community but are in the orbit of people in the LGBTQ community. They can be a wonderful resource. Um, for for family members and friends and and caring people who want to really be you know part of uh, understanding. No, I know I'm laughing because I feel like that's the part of the coming out process is you come out to your parents and then you hand them <laughs> the P flag the brochure. Card. <laughs> just just call these folks; just, <laughs> they'll help you. <laughs> if you if you need help. Um, uh, of course, we talked about the Mass Commission on LGBTQ Youth, and they are a commission that was established by Laura as an independent agency of the Commonwealth to recommend to all branches of state government effective policies, programs, and resources for youth to thrive. And as a matter of fact, I just attended their. Um, event where they uh, kicked off um, their 2020 report and sharing and it's a it's a fantastic report that includes recommendations to uh, all the state agencies on how they can um, be more inclusive of LGBTQ youth um, talk about key disparities and um, it's just it's an amazing report so you'll find a link for that at um, Mass Committee on LGBTQ youth what else did we miss I think we got through most of it as we were as we were reading through the notes, I think we, we pretty much hit anything. If, if we haven't hit something, you can always email me at joes at marink.org, and I'll be happy to answer your question for you. i just do a shout out for More Than Words. Oh, right. The bookstore we mentioned, which right. um, employs kids who've been in DCF care or uh, state custody or involved in the criminal justice system, and now are learning job skills. Right. And moving on to bigger and better things. Okay. Great. Well, of course, you know how much I enjoy working with you, and I'm so glad that we got to spend this time together on the podcast, and I'm grateful for our joint work supporting LGBTQ youth uh, in this process. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's always fun. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back to introduce you to a few waiting children right after this short break. Hey, producer Jeremy. Hey, host Joe. So while we're between segments, we really should remind folks that one of the best ways to support our work and to support children waiting in foster care is to share resources, whether it's social media, the web, or even this podcast. Yeah, that's so true. So to all of our loyal listeners out there, we know there are many of you. If you like the Adopted podcast, uh, like us, comment on your platform of choice, whether that's Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, uh, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes in the Google Play Store. We really appreciate those five-star ratings. And good comments. And don't forget to share us with your friends and family. They'll love us too. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is probably a good time to remind our listeners that they can find information about any of our waiting children at our website, marink.org, by clicking on the Meet the Children tab and selecting Waiting Children. You can then search by a child's registration number, view waiting children, or create a custom match. So Diane, tell me more about our featured waiting children. Sure. Let's start with Jaden. He's eight years old. He's very playful, energetic. Um, he's African-American and Caucasian. Those who know him well say he's incredibly bright, he's sociable, he's kind, he's affectionate. He's got a cute little smile. Doesn't he, though? Look at that sweater, too. <laughs> um, well, he loves attending church or Sunday school. Doesn't he look like he's wearing well, yeah, his no, Sunday but vest? That's, but that's great. And that's a that's an example of you know looking for um, matches where somebody can support that, right? That's right. Okay. So, Jaden, if you want more information about Jaden, did we give the number? His registration number is 7284. All right. And then um, uh, family constellation-wise? 
for Jaden? Sure. It'd be great if Jaden had a family where he's an only child um, or, or at least a family that can give him a lot of individualized attention. He has a lot of interests um, and he really <laughs> wants parents who are going to engage with him. That's important. Okay, great. Great He's strengths. legally free. That's important to mention. Legally free right. for adoption. So for anyone interested in learning more, let's remind them what the process is like. Sure. You just hop on our website, mayorinc.org. Uh, or you could call us at 617-964-6273. Uh, we also uh, have a list of events on our website, and you could attend an event and right. come I think our next big one is in person. probably Assumption. That's right. It's probably our next big open July. Event. Yep. Great. Hey, producer Jeremy. Hey, host Joe. <laughs> we have an event coming up next month, and I think a lot of families and social workers might be interested in it. Have you ever been to the Assumption event? You know, I actually haven't. As long as I've uh, been around Mayor, it actually I know, we hasn't come had, around the rotation. We so haven't I'm had one. For it. Yeah, we haven't had one in a couple of years. So this is one of our signature events, and uh, usually it happens every other year. It's great for families to come and learn more about the process of adopting from foster care, as well uh, as meeting workers and waiting children. So this venue, though, is kind of a really easy vibe. It's indoor, it's outdoor. It's a bit of a different feel than options. Sometimes people, you know, you've been to options many times right. and, uh, you right. know, it's it's a sort of an indoor space and, and there's lots of people. This is at a college. Uh, there are indoor portions, but it's also out on a field. So, um, you know, just a bit of a, a different feel. And I bring that up only because sometimes families associate with one type of event versus another. So this one's kind of easygoing and fun. Uh, of course, we're so pleased that both events are sponsored by our friends at Jordan's Furniture, but why don't you um, tell everyone about the details? Yeah, so this is a really uh, unique event uh, because for families, this is really an opportunity. It's kind of a combo. There's right. training in the morning uh, that starts at like at 8.30. Um, and so that's a whole panel presentation with breakout sessions where you can really learn a lot about this process um, and get more information. And then that goes directly into more of our standard adoption party. Right, right. Um, going from 12 to 3. And that's the outdoor portion. That's portion so much fun. About, where there's you know bouncy houses and all sorts of interesting stuff yep. to do. I understand there's a dance troupe. There the is a dance troupe. They are fantastic. Right. So, yeah, it's going to be a really fun day if you're looking for a very like fun and light adoption party to come to. This would be a really great option, I think. Great. Well, what do they want to? Where do they need to go to register? To register, you just need to go to www.mareinc.org, and in the events uh, section, you'll find out all you need to know about uh, the summer adoption mixer at Assumption College. Is the official title, and that's happening on July thirteenth. So we hope you can join us. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, you bet. Hey guys, hope to see you there. Welcome back to Adopt Ed. This is our Adopt Talk segment where we get to meet community members who are involved in the foster care and adoption process. Joining me today is Richard Benoit, a foster and adoptive parent, LGBTQ advocate, and community support resource. In his role as a foster parent liaison, he works with parents in the community to provide support and guidance. We're pleased that you're available to speak with us. And do you prefer Richard, Rich, Rick? Rich is fine. Ah, uh, thanks. Can I say Rick? Yes. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think you and I could talk for days about today's topic. It's Pride Month. Happy Pride. And you and I have done a lot of work in the community for a, a number of years and um, and actually met as, as gay um, uh, foster adoptive parents many years ago. And I know, you know, for Tom and I, we looked at all different kinds of ways of becoming a family, surrogacy and international adoption and, you know, all the various ways and, you know, domestic adoption and, and so forth. And we landed on on adoption from foster care. For you, It was how the did same you... thing, looking at the process, what that process entailed, um, both financially and timeline-wise. Um, the other thing, too, is at that time, the agencies, if they were receptive or not. Yeah. Who were those agencies for you? Did oh. you look at private Like, I know we yes. sort of eventually got to DCF. Right. 
right? Yes. But um, did you do your training with DCF or did you use another no, agency? No, I training with DCF. You did? Okay. And um, MAP class back then was very different. Yeah, very. Right? It yes. was It was uh, a different journey. Um, what was your training experience like? I mean, we were the only gay couple that I knew of having children when we started this. We didn't, a lot of our friends weren't um, necessarily interested in forming a family and, and doing this. Did you, you know, what was your training experience like? What was the community like for you at the time? Because you were ahead of me by a couple of years. I want to use a terminology, shock and awe. Um, there is about <laughs> 10 couples. We were one of two gay couples. Really? At that time. Okay. I was expecting more resistance. Did you find a lot of resistance I, in the process? I, I don't know if it was what I found was resistance. I think more of shock. Okay. Uh, the facial expressions, the tone, um, the statements of, you sure you really want to do this? We know why we're here. Do you know why you're here? Really? Yep. Okay. For us, the tougher part came when we started matching. True. Um, and, and really getting out into the community. I, I have to say that not long after we started this process, within a couple of years, um, the department did a lot of work to make sure that all people felt engaged in the process, really started to um, look at practices and, and make sure that, that everyone you know was, was getting equal treatment as you can and as best you can with a large bureaucratic right. organization, right? Agree. Um, but I think it was different back then, although what's interesting yeah, I is... Do. I do too. Yeah. But by and large, you know, it was uh, no more or no less challenging than I hear from a lot of couples uh, or single adoptive parents who engage in this process. It was... You know, it, it, it had its challenges, but its challenges weren't necessarily because of who we were. The challenges are just inherent in, um, you know, adoption in general. Um, but you had a bit of a unique experience. I remember your, your first match, right, was how did that come about? I was part of an organization called Safe Homes. They're based out of Worcester. Um, and at that time, they were affiliated with EU Inc. Right. Um, they ran a program for LGBTQ youth. Um, and those youth came from multiple resources, some from the department. Um, Mike at that time was part of the department's system um, and UINC system. Um, I had met him through the program on a weekly basis. Um, I was approached if I would be interested in um, having him come to live with us as a foster child. Right. Um, and we slowly but surely developed a friendship and then to see if we were going to go forward, which eventually we did. Right, because he was a teen, obviously. Yes, 16. Right. Yeah. And you did move forward with that? Yeah, I did. And have since moved forward with how many others? Total of five. So that's interesting. Right. So today uh, we have you know this conversation about lgbtq youth uh, on the department side and and you know how we make connections to supportive resources and i always say lgbtq youth do not have to be placed with lgbtq families I right agree. have to be placed with supportive resources um and any more than you know that then um, non-lgbtq youth can't you know couldn't be placed with lgbtq families obviously right we're open as long as everyone is uh, aligned well and as long as you know everything everybody's is, receptive yeah and everybody's good but that's interesting that that's how that's how you met because i think today i get questions all the time from lgbtq families who are looking to be a resource provider for an LGBTQ youth. I mean, my family, as you know, um, has been open uh, and receptive and, and uh, willing to look at LGBTQ youth who, who may need placement, right? Yep. And there's a lot of families who do that. What do you think the landscape looks like today? What do you think, you know, how do you think those connections are being made, um, you know, between waiting kids and, and families? Is Has it changed a lot? I, I think it, yes, I think it has. I think the... LGBTQ youth have more layers than they had previously. 20 years ago, there was a simple question, gay or lesbian. Right. Today, with the dynamics and the layers, it does look differently. You're not just looking at either a lesbian child or youth or a gay. You're looking at 
the potential of a bisexual child, a trans child, and the list goes on. Right, right. So that, the dynamics and the personality and the needs of that child, I think— Very different. I think they are very different. More complex, for sure. I agree. Good yeah. word. And how about how about connecting to families? Do you have a sense from your community work of families that are, are saying, hey, I'd love to— uh, be a resource or a parent to an LGBTQ-identified youth? Have yeah. you come across any any folks that have opened their doors or, or made themselves available to match with those youth? I think there are couples out there that are very open and receptive to that need. The issue is, again, the diversity of what, what the need is. Sure. Yeah, and I think one of the things um, working uh, with the board, so so Rick and I, for disclosure, uh, serve together on the DCF Worcester West Area Advisory Board and uh, have done a lot of community work together around LGBTQ support. But even before that, we actually served on the Central Massachusetts Business Council yep. together, right? And yep. um, in our group, I think I was probably president at the time, and I think Tim, uh, our buddy Tim, was was VP, and yep. we um, saw a need, early 2000s, right, yep. um, to find a way for families to be enculturated into pride. At that time, Worcester Pride was um, very much uh, for an older crowd, it wasn't necessarily terribly family-friendly, right? and we brought up that first um, hybrid event where we took a big chunk of Water Street and had a, a sort of the, the CNBC was... Um, LGBTQ and LGBTQ-friendly businesses getting together, right? Right. But we found a way to also have conversations with other agencies. DCF was one of them. Mike yes. Whalen. Yeah. Remember Mike Whalen? Yeah. Right? Great Came guy. out, and uh, out of Boston, there was some work being done. They said, hey, you know, we really want to make sure that people know that we're open to all families, right? And yes. LGBTQ uh, identified, um, you know, uh, singles and, and couples and, uh, you know, are all part of, of who we'd love to talk to. And that's the first time I really remember there being a family focus in in our area in Worcester for this work. Yes. You know? Um, so I think, so with that in mind, you know, rolling it forward to the board, people started coming to us probably in, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there was a point where uh, marriage equality had taken hold. Uh, all the support groups, I mean, the groups like CNBC and the others seemed to kind of just evaporate. But then um, at some point, I don't know, I want to say 07, 08, people started coming to you. I know people started coming to me and saying, you know, what's going on with LGBTQ foster care and adoption? How do we get involved? What's, you know, I feel like we kind of lost the focus. And so we took some action and um, and created uh, the LGBTQ committee. Right. Right? Yes. Part and the, of the board. Yeah. And why was that important? I think it was important um, on multiple levels. Number one, informational for people that did right. not know exactly where we were as a community. Um, where the service providers that service within that community, where they all stood. I think it was also important that families that were looking into supporting youth um, or kids um, know that there were multiple layers of resources and systems that were doing some really special stuff, stuff within the school system, stuff within the mental health system. Um, along with safe homes, that still is incredibly successful for right. the community and for the youth. Um, but again, the diversity of what those layers looked like, the education piece needed to be implemented, and that is where it kind yeah, of got lost. there's a lot of intersectionality. I mean, uh, at Huge. the very front of this is, can I be a parent or can we be parents? And what does that right? look like? What does that look like? And um, And then can we be parents? Yes. Can we be parents to an LGBTQ youth or a non-LGBTQ youth? Yes. And what does that LGBT? What does that, what does that look like? Look and like. now, exactly. right now, we have to go through training. And what does that look like? Right. And right. So, and then you're right. Then there's placement. So then it's, you know, it's funny. We talk about. Um, I think we talk, especially during Pride Month, we're talking about LGBTQ parenting, right? Yeah. As a way to just remind people that here in in Massachusetts, it's an option. And so some of it just became, you're right, some of it just became the same conversation we had with any other group of people. Right. Right? And some of it was specific to LGBTQ parents. Right. 
Um, but I think what's interesting is they, uh, as a as a group, LGBTQ parents came to us and said, we used to have all of these community groups and we used to have, now, you know, it's great that we're um, integrated into our communities, but our kids don't get to be around other kids like ours and right there right. was so what do we do how do we how do we address that networking who are the other people that are within the system right you know working within the system to identify who are the other people out there um raising the same type of youth and the challenges of those youth well, as be- a family yeah and it doesn't necessarily mean even though it's pride month and even though we're talking about lgbtq Raising a child is raising a child. Challenges of raising a child well, is the challenges. It's a, but it's another layer again that we talk about is how do we bring supports for that particular child with additional challenges? And again, networking within the system and not networking on events and uh, support groups and stuff like that where you hear more of what type of children are you raising um, how do you deal and address those particular challenges? Yeah. One of the other outreach er- areas and groups in which I belong to is a group called Caring Families Together. Um, again, that particular group, when we go into the fall and we do an apple picking, there is 45 to 50 parents with their kids. We're all on basically the same level, but this is a phenomenal way to network. You know, so how many, do you handle yeah. this? And, you know, you're picking an apple, and the next thing you know, you're talking about a challenge with a particular child or right. how you're raising them. Um, I think it's really important kids to get feel to connected see and kids other families like theirs that look just like us. Right. No, I think it's important, and I think that's that's a great example, too, of um, meeting today's needs, right? There's a virtual piece, right? It's a Facebook right. interaction, but then there's also in-person pieces and, right. and meetups. And, and so we've had a lot of uh, a lot of success, I think, with getting people together. And, and there's offshoots. There's luncheon meetings where parents oh get together God. while kids are in school. And, Which we have one Yeah, and, and people have made friendships, and they go off and do other things. And right. I think that's, that's so important. You know, again, back to the point about Diane and the mentor-mentee program at Mayor. I think it's important to know that, you know, having a connection, whatever your connection is, or, or even Mary Viano was with me, you know, Mary Viano yep. from PAL, and she was talking about sort of like ages and stages and things that, you know, that, that go on and how you are in and out of crisis sometimes. And, you know, it may be different people that you need to talk to, but having somebody who can meet you where you're at, that's the language I use now, finding people to meet you where you're at. You know, if you're in the middle of crisis mode, another parent who's been through that can be very, very helpful. If you are an LGBTQ parent, another parent who, you know, has had similar challenges or sometimes not even, you know, you're an LGBTQ parent and you have an IEP issue. Well, having another parent with um, IEP experience can be helpful, right? It's meeting you where you're at, meeting your specific needs, meeting you where you're at. All very important stuff, regardless of, you know, of, of who you are or how you identify. And you're not alone. Right. That's the big key. I think the connection for our kids, for us. Right. We are um, part of a much bigger community. So what do you see the challenges being today? I mean, you know, we, we kind of have gone through a bit of a historical perspective on all of this, and um, the challenges have been up and down. I mean, I know uh, things change sometimes with political climate and social climate, and, you know, there's there's lots of challenges and changes. What do you think for LGBTQ youth and families today, what do you think those challenges look like? I think the challenge is a very basic um, education resources. Um, there are always going to be questions for adults on how to parent. You know, we're well, always... I, you know, there are... And, and here's the thing. Um, you know, we talk an awful lot here at Mayor, and, and we've talked on the podcast about a variety of different needs. So we have children sometimes with social or emotional needs, yeah. with intellectual disabilities, with, um, you know, extreme physical needs. And there are, there are subsets of people who very much have a focus on all of that. And Correct. so much like LGBTQ yeah. as another lens yeah. into all of this, right? But I think at the end of the day, no matter what your affiliation is or where you start from, there are parts of this process that are just kids being kids, yep. about foster kids and adoptive kids, having challenges sometimes that are different because of where they came from, right? and having nothing to do with the what, what brought you in the door to begin with. Right. Right? But I also see that as the children piece truly correct but there's also an adult parenting if this is your first time being a parent 
the questions of yeah. am I doing this right? right. Am I, is, no matter is, what your starting point is, and, parenting is still parenting, right? And the challenges are still there. Yeah, um, I agree. The inner questions of, you know, have I done this particular situation correctly? Am I handling it right? Am I using this right, right, right. right terminology? Am I the only one out here? Um, I think those also are constantly changing, but also not. Um, the questions and the concerns might be changing, but the core piece of... Well, there's a core piece that lives within any foster parent. and adoptive family. Yeah, and any And any biological family. I agree. Because sometimes, I always go back to sometimes a kid's just being a kid. Right. And sometimes it bumps into other things, right? Yep. And sometimes it doesn't. Well, Rick, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure spending time with you today. Thank you for sharing your story. And I'm sure our listeners learned a lot, you know, about you and your journey and um, and what's available in the community. So thanks again for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, for more information about Mayor, uh, including uh, resources for LGBTQ uh, parents and children, or to learn about our waiting children, or simply get more info about how you can get involved in supporting waiting children, please visit us at mayorinc.org or call us at 617-964-6273. This is Joe Sandigato for Mayor, wishing you a wonderful day, and thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>